Hi, welcome to Quid Pros Quo. I'm Zach. And I'm Rin. And today we are talking about character-centered world building. As we're nearing the end of our world building series, we want to talk about putting your characters at the center of your world building process. Um, so this is a technique that puts the, as I said, it puts the characters at the center of the development. Um, Rin, could you walk us through some of the um, some of the benefits of character-centered world building? Yeah. So first, it's easier to manage world builders' disease, I think. And if you haven't heard of it, if you're new to writing, that's totally okay. World builders' disease is a phenomenon where some writers will just world build for like forever. Yep. For yep. Y- sometimes for years and years without actually getting to the drafting stage of writing, mm-hmm. um, which can be fun. But maybe not as productive as we would like it to be. Yep. Um, so, but if you're doing character-centered world building, you, once you have enough of the character, you can stop. Yep. Second, your characters become more embedded in the world because they can't be replaced. Because the world is literally built around them. Yep. Thirdly, the reader, the reader can experience your world building from an insider rather than an outsider perspective. Um, because we have all read so many portal fantasies mm-hmm. where you are like this random teenager from Earth and you get thrown into a magical world through the mouth of a hippo or going down a waterfall yep. or yep. whatever. And then you have to like, you learn the world with it rather than just being immersed totally in this world from the very beginning. Yeah. And that's not to say that one, that's not to say that one technique is better than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, because They're just it, different. Different doesn't mean bad. Yeah. Um, if you're going for portal fantasy, it probably makes sense for you to not use character-centered world building. But if you're going for second world fantasy where everybody's already living there, could be useful. Mm-hmm. And also, your world should should and probably is already serving a strong narrative purpose than just being cool. Even though, like, rule of cool is super... Mm-hmm. Awesome. I was going to say cool again. <laughs> I, I was like, I'm saying cool too many times. It's not even a word anymore. Um, but if you character center world build, then your world does more than just be cool. Yeah. So, with those kind of like with those benefits, how do you do it, right? And one way that you can go about doing it, the way that we will propose, is that you start with your character archetypes. These are the broad strokes of your characters, like where are they from, what kind of role do they play in the story. So this is not like a note card, like paragraph description. We're talking like two or three words, okay? So in like Jungian psychology, you have archetypes like the child or the witch or Mm -hmm. things like that. If you're into tarot, that's like the title of the title of the tarot cards, right? Um, in the major arcana, yeah. just, just so you know. <laughs> um, so these can be protagonists, side characters, they can be villains, but you just want the character archetypes for everybody that you're considering as you're building your, your world. Now you're building around them. So you're trying to find out how the world around, you know, the world that they have lived in has shaped them into who they will be inside of the story. So it's saying... If this is a, like, if this character archetype is the sage or the mentor character, then you start asking questions about, well, what what makes them the mentor? Like, why are they the mentor? Mm -hmm. And start thinking about the experiences that they've had and building out the world around those experiences in order for them to become the mentor. 
So once you have built the world around the characters, the plot falls, flows naturally out of the world you have created because the world has already been doing things to your characters through their backstory. Mm -hmm. So it's likely that there's going to be ongoing action in the future that you can pick up for your novel or for your short story. Yeah. So let's do an example. First, we're going to pick an archetype. Let's say chosen one because that's a very common archetype and most people love a good chosen one story when it's done well. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, we want them to lean into being the chosen one a little bit too much. Um, so first we have to decide who or what is doing the choosing. And there are a couple different routes that we've come up with for this site example that you can go with. First, if you want your story to point out like the arbitrariness of privilege, then it needs like being the chosen one needs to be something that the main character has no control over. Zach, do you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, so this is going back to the point about creating a world that serves a strong narrative purpose, right? Rin just talked about a thematic concern, right, for for your story. So if your story is addressing themes about privilege, then you can build your world around the themes of privilege because your characters are experiencing those themes in their backstory. So if you're trying to critique ideas of privilege, then you say, okay, so they're the chosen one, but they didn't do anything to to deserve being the chosen one. Yeah, absolutely. Versus, like, if you want to point out the problems of meritocracy, then it needs to be something that the protagonist does have control over. Like, I think a little bit about, like, when I was reading over this example, that Zach created this example for the show, and so it very much reminds me of my project Dawnless, which is on a rest in between drafts right now. But it is literally a story about being the chosen one and what it means to be the chosen one and our chosen one's born or made or yeah. all that. Um where we have the chosen one, the Princess Aurora, Sleeping Beauty, mm-hmm. where she's like, this is her whole identity, and then when she dies at the end of the first chapter, the world comes crashing down because everyone was also relying on her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go throughout the whole story, and it's like, well, can we make a new chosen one? And like, if we go to like this magical council of seven, like, will they make a new chosen one? Mm-hmm. Or is the chosen one something you choose to become if you take on the mantle of it? So, anyways, that's an example of character-centered world-building. And mm-hmm. I will note that maybe this episode is a revelation for you as it is for me when Zach proposed it. Because I've been, like, doing this all along. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize there was a name for it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, when I put this, uh, when I put this example together... Um, I was thinking about the things that I have, the things that I've been reading about and the kind of the ideas that have been popping up inside the nonfiction that I read and thinking Mm -hmm. about how that applies to the fiction because I like writing idea stories, like incorporating those ideas. And I'm the same way. (laughs) Yeah, so after reading a book called The Tyranny of Merit by um, Michael Sandel, great book, highly recommend it, um, I thought that the second one was more compelling to explore for the purposes of this you know, for the purposes of this example. so The second one being the problems of meritocracy. Yeah. So we need to have something that the character has control over. So I'm thinking maybe an exam, like the bureaucracies of Imperial China. Um, you will have noticed that I've brought up Imperial China like 16 times over the course of the past, like, two months. And it's because as I was writing a bunch of these show notes, I had just finished reading Throne of Jade. So that's where it comes from. Checks out. Um, or maybe some kind of athletic event um, like the Olympics or gladiatorial combat. 
And as I was thinking about this, I thought it would be really interesting to do something around sports because I'm not sure that I have ever seen a meritocratic anything about sports inside of fantasy just mm-hmm. because I can only read so many books. Um, and if there's not a lot of them, it's harder to find them. Yep. So. So if we're doing something with like an athletic event, what do we want to do with that? Um I was thinking, oh, you know, it would be really interesting if it, this character needs to be a good sailor, like sailboats, mm-hmm. um, and that the chosen one is somehow linked to being able to to sail. So what kind of society needs a sailor? Why would a sailor be the chosen one? The society needs to be on an archipelago, needs to be an island nation, that mm-hmm. corner, sort of thing. But we need something a little bit more, right? And so I was thinking about a video game that I played not too long ago that caused me to have an existential dread spiral oh, no. um, called uh, Spiritfarer. Oh, my God. I love Spiritfarer <laughs> so much. I have played it through, like, two or three times. I cry to it every time. Gusama is... Gusama. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I was not going to need to say Spiritfarer for that. I'm so pleased that you did. <laughs> So yeah, I was thinking about Spiritfarer and thinking, well, if there is some kind of netherworld or some kind of spirit realm or something that you have to sail through in order to get places, it would make sense for there to be a chosen one. So mm-hmm. again, we're building the world around the character where we're saying, okay, chosen one, we have this, uh, you know, there's going to be this big sailing contest somewhere in the story because mm-hmm. we've already determined that it's going to be sailing. That's how they're going to prove how that they're the chosen one. So you have that devious look. What is it? <laughs> I have three comp titles for this already. <laughs> so first of all, I'm being spirit fair, obviously. Second one is very loose with Mamma Mia 2. Okay. With, like, young Bill. Okay. Who is a sailboat okay. person. <laughs> Sailor. Uh, the third one is Moana. Okay, yeah. There you go. Coming to a bookstore near you at, like, 2026. You're going to do that fast? That's impressive. I'm just being facetious. I, I know. I'm also being facetious. I have so much to do. I just came up with another story idea, and I'm like, this isn't going to be serious. I'm going to, but then I've told like eight people about it. And they're like, and they're oh like, my gosh, you that's have so cool. to write this. Yeah, right? Like, three of them are in my writing group. Two or three of them are in my writing group. One of them is just a friend who relates really heavily to the themes I would explore in the story. And then I think the fifth one is my partner. So, there you go. Yeah. Anyways, sorry, you were talking. I've interrupted you twice. No, no, no. no. I mean, I feel like that. I feel like that gets to the point and helps to illustrate what's going on with character-centered world building, yeah. and it shows that you can very easily pull a plot out of the character-centered out of the character-centered mm-hmm. world building. So when you're going through, remember, you start with the archetype, and then you start asking questions around what is making them into this archetype. What are the conditions in the world that make it possible for them to be this archetype, as well as what things have happened to them? What sort of experiences have they had to bring about this archetype? And by doing this, you create a very tight view around the character, and you make the world feel really, really tangible Mm -hmm. to the reader. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm just, like, trying to think of a couple, like, examples to leave you with. I feel like Disney Pixar does really great character-centered world-building. So if you want to go look at... Because sometimes I feel like films can be easier to digest than books when you're looking for, like, a quick example of 
some things. If you're in a hurry and you have, like, only two hours to spare instead of, like, ten hours to read a book, mm-hmm. I'd recommend most of Disney Pixar stuff. Yeah. And some of the Disney Princess ones, like, the newer ones, like Moana or mm-hmm. Tangled. I guess Tangled's, like, 2010, so maybe not newer. But, you As know, newer whatever. than 1937 Exactly. Exactly. But anyways, thank you so much for listening to Quid Pros Quo. We'll see you next week. Quid Pros Quo is hosted by DC Winters and C.K. Jensen. If you like this episode, be sure to leave us a rating. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at quidprosquo at gmail.com. For more episodes, check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts.